Thank you for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. Today we've got a special guest joining us, Scott Smeester. He is uh, the head of the CIO CTO Mastermind. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to get all the acronyms in there correctly, Scott Mastermind. <laughs> think Tank, uh, think Brain tank. Trust. <laughs> the CIO CTO Mastermind Think Tank Brain Trust. It's a mouthful. Um, and, and, the, and the acronym is CIO CTO MMTTBT. <laughs> you well, you know, in technology, we love our acronyms. So. Exactly. That's why I did perfectly. it. That's why I did it. It's, yep. it's obnoxious on purpose. <laughs> it's it. memorable, that's for sure. Rolls, rolls right off the tongue. When you get used to it. <laughs> uh, Scott considers himself uh, a, an interim CIO, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit how that differs from a fractional CIO. Uh, and part of the reason that we're interested in having him join us today is uh, someone who is a skilled technologist by background, uh, who also considers himself to be a technologist with executive tendencies. We felt it would be beneficial a geek, to... <laughs> a geek with executive tendencies. <laughs> we Officially. Be, I love it. We thought it would be beneficial to walk through uh, really um, some of the the transition points that we know a lot of technologists who find themselves in leadership roles are challenged with. So Scott, welcome. Thank you for being willing to join us and, and spend some time chatting with us today. Absolutely. Thanks. Can you tell us a little bit about your own background and really uh, from, from a technology standpoint all the way up through what brought you into a leadership role, just kind of as a starting point? Yeah, from a technology standpoint, ever since I was a little kid, I, I kind of programmed and I've always been involved with software and, and in high school and all that. I just remember um, all the different languages I've learned throughout the years. When I um, I went to college, I got a degree in um, civil engineering, which is all infrastructure. It's all about um well, yeah, that infrastructure. And but following following college, I went into um uh, sales um, for a couple of years. And then I started a company doing web development. That was in about 95 and 97 ish. I kind of um, went downtown and, and built a company in the internet bubble. That was at about, you know, through the 2007 through 2003 ish. Um, and then following that, I, um, you know, I, I, I took a hit on that and I got, I just kept um, consulting within um, web development. And um, I always kept that as a thread, even though I was involved in other and subsequent companies following that as um, either as an entrepreneur or as a, um, a co-founder. Uh, I always kept that. I always kept my development skills um, up to date. Uh, it was something that just generally paid the bills and um, I always had an interest in it. I love it. I love to touch the code and do code. And and even just a few years ago, I went back to um, one of those boot camps and spent um, ten weeks learning the job. You know, all the JavaScript platforms and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Just because that's it's it's what I like to do. Um, so that's that's it in a nutshell. Of about three or four years ago, I I, I saw a need that um, you know companies are are lacking. Um, real advocacy. And so that's kind of where I am now. I, I call myself a CIO, but I look at myself more as 
an advocate to CEOs and CFOs and stakeholders um, of small and mid-sized companies to help them um, elevate, you know, the performance of their technology to their to their company. That's great. Tell me a little bit about your definition of interim CIO versus fractional CIO. These are, these are terms that we hear kind of thrown around a lot. There's sort yeah. of a big buzz about it. And um, yeah. certainly I think from a, a, a business owner or executive level perspective, uh, yeah. understanding where they might want to tap one versus another or actually hire someone full time, uh, I think is probably an open question to leaders of businesses. I have a real simple answer. Interim, you want to get the hell out. Fractional, you want to stay in. <laughs> <laughs> nice, straight, clear cut I, really, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I say I'm an interim because I really, I, I like to do short, lo, short projects. I got to get moving on. I got to, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to be in this, in the same, even though I just got a new client and I'm the fractional CTO of this client <laughs> all, all of a sudden. I am, but... Um, I think I prefer more of the shorter term, um, you know, thing. And then, and I think that there are better people cut out to be more of the corporate CIO fractional to um, full-time role. And that's, that's definitely not me. I'm not a good corporate guy. <laughs> you sound like you, you always kind of constantly like to be learning um, when yes. you're giving your description earlier. So I, so I could see where, you know, the, um, you know, being full-time CIO, CTO is probably not, not your thing. You kind of lose it's, that ability to, to constantly be learning and kind of go directions mm -hmm. you want to go. Yep. There's better people for that. And I can make a living doing it on a smaller scale, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> so talk a little bit about what really started your interest in helping to facilitate uh, the working group that you're currently overseeing. What uh, what really launched that concept, and uh, what's what's firing your passion related to that? I needed it, and it didn't exist that I knew that I saw. Um, <clears throat> I had uh, I was in at the end of last year. Um, I was uh, working on getting um, a, a fractional or interim type of CIO gig, and it was with um, a pretty good sized company, a two hundred fifteen million dollar freight company. Uh, they had really old system and AS 4000, whatever it was, AS 4000 <laughs> system. And it was old. Um, and there's a lot of, lot of low hanging fruit I, that I actually ended up, you know, that I see, but I wanted to, um, have the ability to be able to talk with other CIOs. I just started to verbalize that. That's kind of what I do when I have kind of a challenge or something like that. I just verbalize that to people that I know, my trusted advisors and business people that I know. And one of them said, you know, what you need is a mastermind group. And, and I'm familiar with the term from kind of Napoleon Hill. And, and mm -hmm. I, I've been involved in like the alternative boards. And, and here's one locally in Denver called the three to five club that I was a member of. Very great clubs and learned a lot of things through those. And I was like, oh, dang, you know, that would be great if it was just CIOs and IT executives who are leading and dealing at the C level. Um, and I said, you know, that's, it's, it's what we need. And it wasn't around Denver. So, you know, and I say it this way, in Elon Musk fashion, I needed it. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, might as well go and create it because I'm, I'm sure others need it. And, 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 and it's the right thing to do. 
We need to spend time together and we need to advocate for each other and we need to help each other because this is a lonely gig, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, 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 it, but it's important. In fact, it's, it's no longer an option. It's you small and medium sized business just three to five years ago. Technology seemed like, even though it wasn't, that it, it was, it was, it was kind of perceived as an option. Now, all of a sudden, with all this breaches and all the seriousness around all the data and the, and the compliance and, and all the things you hear about, all of a sudden the CEOs and C, you know, the, the stakeholders are taking notice and we're like, got to integrate it into the business. And now's the time. And we need to work with each other to do it right and to do it profitably and to do it, um, in my opinion, you know, kind of small projects first to lead to the bigger ones. That's great. I mean, the, I know the great thing about working groups, mastermind groups, or is bringing everyone together. And and I know as technology people, we're kind of having the brunt of GDPR, California Privacy Act, breach compliance from New York, mm-hmm. um, to the point where um, you know senior leadership is turning to IT and asking them, you know, how they need to solve these legal problems or what what they should be doing. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like having that mastermind group is kind of good where you can kind of turn to up here and say, well, what are you guys doing with that? Um, how are you guys handling GDPR? Um, right. Especially yeah. when you have financial regulations, you can't delete specific things, but GDPR says that you can, you know, you're supposed to delete anything that somebody says them to delete to. So, I mean, it's it's really great that you're running a working group mastermind, and I'm I'm sure your members find it very beneficial. Yeah, yeah. So far, the the feedback's been great, and I I just feel like like this has led to something really cool because I feel like it's really really needed, and I like to do it, and it feels right. It's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, here's part of what I can contribute that I think is a real differentiator for what you've put together, Scott. You know, there there are working groups where, uh, you know, particularly the one that Nick and I tend to be involved in has uh, more of an industry specific focus. So I, I, I love that, you know, what you're doing spans across industry types. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, the exclusion of vendors is always important. You know, if you go to a conference, <laughs> you, you may have some semblance of, you know, that yeah. uh, top level leadership. Yeah, lunches behind the expo floor, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. yeah. yes. what it is. Yeah. yeah there, there are no free lunches, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Just act like you're deaf and walk right past. <laughs> But most importantly to me is uh, the agile approach that you've taken to the structure of how the mastermind group works. Uh, so ultimately, you know, if you can walk us through some of that, uh, I think, you know, it's beneficial to really understand, you know, what the value is that's being derived by leaders who come with bottlenecks that they're able mm-hmm. to present in a time boxed fashion and then. Um, really evoke the um, the feedback and uh, insight from other leaders in the room. Yeah, well, that's a key. So, you know, one of the things that I've I've noticed that um, a lot of the the members or the, even the potential members, they're not really nobody's really doing agile in their business. I mean, the CIOs are surrounded by. CEOs and CFOs and boards and and 
none of them are doing it. They don't know. They don't know what agile is, but they, they, they believe in the concept. They hear about it a lot. They would really like to do it in their own organization. Probably just hasn't roll it out, roll it out yet. I believe in it and it needs to be done just the way, just the general, general format of agile. I'm not the agile expert, but um, so yeah, part of our, you know, our group, um, we do a problem solving sessions that we call bottlenecks and um, it's a structured format, 15, 15, 15 minute. It's, and, and the, and they're all structured based on, get us history, make sure that we understand everything followed by, okay, now we're going to help you solve the problem. Um, and yeah, it's structured and we really kind of stick to that time. We have to, um, but yet we get deep, we have to get deep and it's really important to do that in this. So, um, these meetings are not, I mean, we run three and a half hour meetings. It's not the 15 minute stand up meeting that you're, you're used to, but nonetheless, um, we run the organization that way too. For instance, we're starting a steering committee and I've been asked recently also, oh, when, when are we going to meet? What are we going to do? And I'm recommending we should meet every two weeks. We should meet, you know, seven, seven thirty in the morning for 15 to 20 minutes, get in and get out. We're not meeting for any, we're not meeting for the sake of meeting. We're, we're getting on this conference call. We're going to talk about these issues and we're going to run sprints too, because we want things to get done. And we'll just, we're going to decide upon two week sprints and what can you get done in two weeks? And that's kind of what we're going to run the organization as well. So um, yeah, the CIOs that are in the group, they're, they're getting a lot more taste of this and there's, and I, I, and I hope that it spreads through their organizations. That's great. I just want to see, I, I was kind of perusing your, your blog here, um, before we got on and I saw your article on, you know, the di digital transformation and executive mm -hmm. leaders. Um, and you, and you made four key points, like it was perspective, presentation, promotion, um, and positive learning. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, and what really intrigued me was your, your positive learning comment there. Can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, bring me back to what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. No problem. Uh, when was that just two months ago? Oh gosh, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess it was more your positive learning you were going over. It's more of about micro learning instead of, you know, going to all day sessions where you kind of sit down oh. and learn something, you kind of, you know, maybe taking a podcast, that's like a 15 minute thing, or you sit down yeah. and you learn through a, like a boot camp, maybe one that's not 10 weeks, but maybe one that's like two days or something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you got, you, you can't sit all day long and we try to break down, and by the way, that's part of our group too, is we're always, you know, bio breaks is what <laughs> I get all these things. I call everything that we do in our group through things that I learned while being on some teams. I was on scrum teams for about five years. And so bio breaks and retros, retros are looking back instead of post <laughs> yeah. we call them retros and all that lingo. Um, I do believe in breaking down chunks in, into learning and, and that's what we do in this group. And I mean, so I'm sorry if I, if I didn't answer your question. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're okay. fine. Okay. No worries at all. <laughs> well, you know, part of, part of what I think is interesting, just hearing that little bit of context, you know, the, the approach of micro learning technology is moving at such mm. a rapid pace. And, uh, you know, this is, this is why probably two months to you, Scott, seems like an aeon ago, right? Right. It's, um, it's, I mean, it's, 
my blog, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a constantly flowing river. Yeah, so, you've got a lot of content in there, uh, so I can't imagine you can remember everything you wrote. <laughs> I just specifically, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think that that's, that's true for, uh, you know, technologists as much as anyone else who's challenged on the leadership side. And when you put the two of those things together, um, you know, you're, I think, part of the role of uh, where the technology leader finds themselves uh, is really, you know, getting it from both sides. I mean, you've got to keep your knowledge going at a pace that's keeping up with what is relevant and new in technology, but you also have to be able to inform people who are not dialed into the geek speak, who just want to understand what's the relevance to the business. Yeah, that's a fine line. There's, I, I, it's a hard one to, to, to tell. It's a hard one to try to find it, uh, uh, you know, people who are both engineers and in sales type of or executive type of people. That's where, so my mother was um, an accountant. She comes from a line of engineering type people. Um, so ironically, and then my father's side, he came, he came from like insurance sales. We have a couple of different generations of sales. And then I was in sales for a while too. And being entrepreneurial, you got to do a lot of sales. So you get a lot of side, you know, the, the other side of that. So um, mm. <laughs> it's just one of those, those balances. And, and yeah, I try to stay up on technology because that's my love. I go to the, I like to go to vendor things because I like to learn a lot, but I also go to like meetups. Most recently I was involved with uh, virtual reality. Um, a lot of geeks in that one, a lot of geeks in the virtual reality <laughs> meetup. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and what else? There's uh, some other geeky things. Well, Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> well, one of the things that I thought was valuable that you and I had talked about previously was the need for developing use cases, right? Oh, uh, yeah. how, do, how do you take all the geek terminology, which is inclusive of costs that usually blow people's minds when they're not familiar with you know, the expenses oh, related yeah. to technology investment, and you put those things into a context where now you're communicating in the language of business as a technologist, can you walk us through a little bit of what you do in terms of coaching related to that? So, yeah, well, okay. So this is the way I look at this. This is a practice use cases, business use cases and case studies are um, a practice. And it's something that we all need to be engaged in um, because the stakeholders, their language is financial. And so what mm -hmm. we need to do is we need to look at, um, the impact we're having, and not always financial, but, you know, if you start there, you're going to generally be good. If you if you work it in terms of financials and then the impact on also lowering risk always. And um, when, we, when we're developing case studies, I'm always asking kind of the question, again, I play the advocate and this group is about, um, again, being that advocate. Uh, role for for the for the companies for the CEOs who aren't in this group. So I'm always asking. So I'm CEO. Tell me, why do you want to do this? So we're doing this. This is the role that we play in this group. We have to say, okay, well, um, you're you're talking about this. You're talking about this security protocol or whatever, some type of thing. And um, you know, tell us. In fact, we're doing this right now with one of our members. Um, they're talking about cybersecurity. What are they going to do with 
uh, with it. And we're asking the questions from an advocacy standpoint, you know, show us the numbers, show us the money. And he's like, okay, great. Yeah. We have to go to the drawing board. And so what does that look like? Well, we're, we're working on the structure of that. We don't really have that um, nailed down right now, but it's going to be, you know, the impact. I mean, again, we're structuring it. Show, show me the impact to the company and the values to the company and what and how does this fit? And then what's maybe the financial impact? Where's the costs? And show us why we should do this. I think you bring up a good good point. I feel like a lot of people, um, it, you know, when they start out in IT, and like, they, like Brian said, they come up from back offices and they're not quite exposed to you know, the business side of stuff and justifying, um, you know, an expense to a CEO, um, when you, when you come in and you say you need all this Meraki equipment, all this Cisco endpoint security, and then you show them the, the sticker price number and you can't really, you know, justify how that's a return on investment, how that's, um, you, you know, that that cost is worth it. You've got to be able to speak the language of business. And I feel like that's, that's lacking a lot, um, yep. with a lot, yep. lot of leaders, even just the basic understanding of accounting is helpful, accounting and finance. Exactly. Well, you know, a typical IT exec, or, um, and this isn't true for everyone, but they're not really looking at like what security, what a breach really would cost, mm-hmm. what the whole scope of that is. Or maybe I shouldn't say a CEO or a CIO doesn't. A typical CEO and the board stakeholder doesn't really understand that. This is what the real and but we have we have IT execs have had a hard time and not very been very good at describing the real ramifications of that. This mm-hmm. is what it looks like. Your downtime, okay, yeah, you have all of your files. Yes, you do. You've backed up all of your files. That's good. But if we go down here's really what has to happen. We have to replicate this here and there. And, and this person, this whole group will be done for weeks. They, they're not gonna be able to do it or whatever that is. And then when you start really doing that and start really, and, and this is, you know, I, I know I've, I've seen that we lack doing this, but if we do that, you'll have no problem getting the resources that you, that you need. And, and that can be monetized. That can be shown from a financial standpoint. Yeah, you know, this is uh, one area that a lot of technologists tend to be, uh, you know, very familiar with, but have difficulty harnessing it for business purposes. And that's working with the data. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one example that I think of is uh, from, you know, ticket analysis. You look at the, the types of, um, you know, ticket closures that you might have in a particular site uh, or, you know, ticket closures of a particular type. That's that's really data that's being surfaced that can help you build some of these business cases you're talking about. Right, where, right. If you've got one particular location that is uh, bottlenecked, you know, they're, they're having massive ticket closures. That right there can help you start building uh, the case for adding an additional resource to that location. Um, or if you've got data where you continue to see uh, issues of a particular type, that may also be another indication that it's time to start um, leaning out some of your technical debt, maybe do mm-hmm. some systems replacements or modernization. 
Uh, yeah. But, but connecting the dots in those ways isn't necessarily always at the forefront of what a lot of technologists are thinking. Uh, so right. When they make that transition into the, the leadership role, that's, that's part of where I see uh, your approach really around those um, business cases as, as being very critical. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I was going to say on that on that note, when when you're doing the business cases and you and you're and you're creating kind of the the this, well, we call them first of all business use cases and then case studies. Case studies mm-hmm. looking back and then business use cases looking forward. Um, if you haven't done that, I mean, the way that I look at it too, and, and this is a way to kind of do an agile approach to projects is do smaller projects. Start with some smaller projects that you know you can get some wins on. Start thinking in terms of um, what the the wins and the and and, and how you're going to get a an ROI on it. And because you should be starting with the smaller projects anyway before doing big big projects. No, I really like that definition. Uh, that the uh, the case studies are looking back. The business use cases are really looking forward. Walk us through a little bit about you know. Why would you create a case study if you're already in a leadership role? You know, is it is it something that you do to help define kind of what the current state is for other executives who might be part of a decision making matrix? Help me out with that last part. The reason I want um, uh, case studies, case studies looking backward. Mm-hmm. The reason I want case studies is because I want a portfolio to be able to show you know, my successes. I want okay, to be able gotcha. to, um, you know, well, and in Denver, I don't know about anywhere else, but I suspect it's probably similar in similar size um, cities. Uh, CIOs go through pretty extended periods of, of unemployment when they do go. Then that's not the same. Obviously, there's a negative unemployment rate for like developers and things like that, but not for IT executives, especially at the higher ranks and I've seen that a lot. And, and a lot of times the reason is, and then I asked to see, and I'm happy to help look at their resume um, because I can look at it like a CEO. And I, and a lot of times this, the resumes that I'm getting from people who are in transition of CIOs, I'm looking at a resume and it's telling me how they did this big um, transformation to AWS from their CRM and all these acronyms and I'm like, okay. And then I don't see dollar amounts. I don't see yeah. um, talking about risks and discussions about how um, you might have moved people up in their in their in their roles because he, they was able to automate things or whatever it might be. Um, none of that. And so, yeah. I mean, that's where that's importance of of case study. So I want I want these um, these in transition CIOs to be able to talk to a CEO and say, oh, here's my portfolio of all the different things that I've done over the last two years. Um, yeah, totaling, what's that say there, 15 billion or whatever it might be, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, I mean, there's a, yeah, that's the, there's a significant, um, in my opinion, we're data people. So there it is. It's good for us. It, it helps us out when we know that that's our data. I really like that concept because it gets you thinking about the technology impact of what you've done and also the business impact. And it kind of helps you kind of spin the wheels. And like you said, when it comes time to write that resume, you can then, you know, put it in business speak because, you you know, 
another IT person's not going to hire you. <laughs> so it's, it's normally right. gonna be HR looking at it like AWS RDS database with Lambda. Like, well, I don't know what any of this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't matter because it's about the business. It's not mm-hmm. about the technology. Yeah, that's a great point. Do you have a preferred format or what is, uh, is there sort of a templatized version that you use or how do you usually structure what you put together for those? Well, okay, so I'll be right, quite honest. We're developing that right now. I am actually, so I'm working with um, a CIO that I've been trying to get as a guest who has a whole um, portfolio of, of, of um, uh, case studies. So the history of it, basically you just have to go through the history, what the problem was. Um, what the challenge was, you know, kind of a, kind of a, you know, start with a SWOT analysis, what mm-hmm. the threats were, uh, maybe some opportunities if that was an opportunity, because not all, um, you know, technology initiatives are about, um, you know, security mm-hmm. and lowering risk. It's about generating revenue. So that might be what it's about. Um, and so while I'm working on it, this is the way that we're doing it. We go through kind of the history, just like we do in a bottleneck, basically. Um, kind of go through the history, go through the deep dive of what the challenge was. Maybe even there were some political challenges and things like that. And then um, talk about the solution, what maybe some of the alternatives and the options were and what cost might have been or might be in this in this particular situation. And then the impact, the final impact. Okay, you did this and this is what happened at the end of the day. And here's some of the positive things, even if it's not a financial Thing. Maybe, you know, morale went up because right. um, somebody in the office doesn't have to do this anymore. So, yeah, there's a whole and, and you shouldn't do it more than two pages. It shouldn't be longer than two pages, one page, preferably, um, because this is again, these are things that are going to CEOs. Um, so it's not a ton of work to have to do and write it. it I mean, it's some, but, you know, make it simple because everything in front of a CEO should be on a one page. Your story should be on one page. So maybe one page per case study, in my opinion. That's great advice. Agile, you. you know, type of thing. <laughs> sure. Sure. Agile. Yes. It's a new word. Um, so, so let's go the other direction and talk a little bit about the business use cases. So the, the okay. forward looking orientation. Um, mm-hmm. So, so walk us through, you know, what's, what's the purpose behind creating this kind of document and, um, sort of the same things. What are the underlying dynamics? What's the format? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a business use case, maybe just end up being a presentation. But again, it's going to be kind of the similar format. What's the problem? Really, you got to, you know, it's I guess it's second nature to me because it's engineering. Mm-hmm. Engineering is doing nothing but problem solving. That's all I did in four and a half years of college was just solve problems. Solve problems is the same thing. What you got to do is you got to define the problem, define what what's happening, what's and what's the effect of that. Um, that effect might be costs, might be always go costs because you, you're going to need to justify that. And there's going to be costs. You can find time through that and you can do a you know, the whole analysis, but so you define the problem, then you uh, find several different solutions um, for stakeholders because there's a, the way I like to, there's a good, better, best, or maybe, you know, and put it in terms of um, a CEO, a car style, Mm -hmm. you know, are you, are you a Porsche or you, you know, just a little get by Honda thing, 
And so, you know, you kind of give the stakeholders um, eventually this is where you're going to you're going to have to tell them a story. Here's the three options we have. We can go kind of on a low end here. And this is the best thing option. This is the Porsche um, if we want it, but it's going to cost this. Now, here's my professional opinion on here's going to be the results of this. And you're going to present that. And here's the resources I need. Here's the expectations. Um, it's like a proposal, really, is all it is. is mm-hmm. And, you know, I do a ton of those. But, yeah, it's just a proposal. Um, and so, uh, but, again, CIOs have not really done a lot of that in the past. They've been the one proposed, too. They've gotten proposals. But, you know, we need to – or C, did I say CEO? CIOs haven't had to do a lot of that in the past. But we should. We need to make yeah. business use cases. I like your concept of break, breaking it down and like, this is a Toyota Corolla. This is, you know, the, you know, the, the Lamborghini. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like yeah. how people are used to seeing things now when you shop on Amazon, it's like, Oh, here's these things. You want to compare them all right down here in a row and you can make a decision in 30 seconds, you know, just by right. that. So, I mean, that, that's a really interesting concept. I really like that. Yeah. I mean, try to equate it in terms of what they're used to. Mm-hmm. Even just good, better, best is, 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 is helpful. Yeah, and it also, I think, opens the door for some additional dialogue around some of these things because the explicit value may not always um, be something that is clearly understood by everyone who has to be part of that discussion. Uh, I think for technologists, you know, we, we uh, have to deal with, you know, the sleepless nights when we've got, you know, aging architecture and old <laughs> systems and um, but from the perspective of someone who, you know, maybe on the business side, they're looking at a six-figure investment in something um, where they don't actually see the problem. It's because we know, just like when you're driving an old car, right? Even if it's a Lamborghini, um, <laughs> you gotta have you gotta have proper maintenance. Uh, there's got to be some repair work done, and there comes a, a certain end of life uh, for whatever any of those things are. And at the speed of technology moving today, there are so many new uh, modernized efficiency plays uh, mm-hmm. with, with systems where you've got API handling, you've got a lot of these other things that um, allow you to bake in some of the automation capabilities that simply aren't possible with some of the legacy systems. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's another translation of business value there where um, it may not be explicit on the front end um, that there are some actual efficiency gains um, that at the end of the day, you know, it starts adding mm-hmm. up into uh, uh, a real, you know, plus on the, uh, the increase in uh, productivity side. Yeah. Well, we have a really good opportunity in front of us, I believe, now. Really good opportunity in front of us. And we can make a big, we're going to make a big, big impact on industry, it's time for us to take that leadership and to, and to take the technology that's available to us now and put it to use, like we know we can. Why, you know, you and I know that the 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 where we're at with AI and, and there's so many things that can improve a company. <laughs> Why aren't they doing it? Well, we're probably the bottleneck then because. <laughs> The upper management haven't haven't bought in on it yet for some reason or other. And we're probably the ones where, you know, <laughs> it rolls uphill. Yeah. Or, or they <laughs> see the Lamborghini and they're like, I want that. You know, can you give me Google's, you know, 
prediction engine when you type <laughs> in there and it instantly knows what you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That actually is my vision. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that thing is so creepy sometimes. You, you'll you'll type like one or two words and it's already got the whole mm-hmm. sentence. I'm like, it's amazing, but creepy at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so paving the way for the techno proletariat is what I'm hearing. <laughs> perhaps perhaps <laughs> all right nick it's your turn yeah i keep uh no jamming up the conversation no you're fine you're you're asking questions <laughs> so um i just want to ask you are there are there any books that you um give to people or that you've read that's had a big impact on you um or not necessarily books or just oh, just anything question. in general well one that comes to mind recently from a, this is total CIO. This is not who I really am day to day, but I did get a free book at a seminar I went to um, for robotic process automation. Mm-hmm. It's how to roll it out. And it's, it's, it's geeky from the sense that you got to know what you're doing politically before you start doing any of that kind of work. Mm-hmm. And so that, I found that really interesting. Um, personally, I like and am fascinated by um, psychology, human psychology, mm-hmm. and in particular kind of sales psychology. It's just a fascination I have. I like to read books. Um, I'm trying to think of the author who does, um, oh gosh, he does these studies about sale, you know, human psychology, sales psychology, really cool stuff. That's that's some of the stuff I like to understand and heuristics and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you know, people do fascinate me. I love I love studying people. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a, a book <laughs> recommendation. Um, there's a okay. book called Never Split the Difference by uh, Chris Voss. Um, it's basically a negotiation book, but he spent uh, okay. 25 years as an FBI hostage negotiator as a specialist in that. Um, uh-huh. So when you go through it, it, it's it's really interesting. He goes through like how he labels people and how he puts them in a category and what personality determines how you should answer questions. Um, it's not a very long book. And, and uh, you know, just you talking about psychology and all that, I think that's something you'd, you'd probably really enjoy. Yeah, cool. Let's check that out. I will um, write it down right now. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I can send it to you yeah. that way. It's no worries. Yeah, please do. You know, there's a Ben Horowitz book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. It's one that for anyone who's dealing with uh, both entrepreneurship as well as being challenged with all of the leadership uh, difficulties that can come along uh, with a a technology-driven business in particular, uh, it's just an invaluable book. And uh, and he is such a a witty writer. Um, I've never read another book i don't think that uses quotes from his favorite rap artists uh at the head of each (laughs) chapter nice (laughs) which believe it or not can can be incredibly enlightening in and of itself yeah (laughs) i've never read so you both owe me an email with those authors those books (laughs) we we will totally do that because i do i like to buy books from recommendations yep i will And uh, Scott, I know you've kind of like just hearing your backstory, you've always kind of been an entrepreneur, it seems like. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for somebody if they're looking to kind of get entrepreneurship, like what they should be thinking, like some of the challenges or or just like anything that you learned that you you're like, man, I wish I knew that when I first started um, down this journey of entrepreneurship? At this point, 
the thing that I would say is, is that the further you go in your research, like there's a point where you have to put your stake in the ground and say, okay, I got to make money. Mm -hmm. But before then, you can play, you do a lot of research and you check the market and you find what, this is the way I did it. Um, talk to a lot of people, try to sell a lot of stuff and find what you want to do. So I knew there was more. I, so when I first started back in business after I said, you know, I spent five years on, on development teams and things like that, I had to get out and I went back in. I went into the kind of the managed services business and, and, and I was calling myself a cybersecurity um, person because I went to a networking event. This was three years ago and somebody, I tried to describe doing workflows through APIs. That yeah. was my other business <laughs> idea was actually doing work. <laughs> that flew over people's heads, man. <laughs> then I said, then I said, oh, and then, and then I do cybersecurity. Oh, cybersecurity. So that for me, I was like, oh, okay. So that's where I'm going to go. And it's different because at the time people weren't saying cybersecurity. Well, they did. And all these managed service providers were doing the same thing and there was nothing. And there's tons of them and there's tons of people saying that they do cybersecurity. So I'm like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I got to find something different. But through that whole process by trying to sell cybersecurity solutions, here's what I saw. I sell to the CEOs, I sell to the stakeholders and I don't, there's nowhere else to go. Um, so I was selling to the stakeholders and the CEO would typically say, oh, I don't handle security. Yes, the IT guys, right? But that's where I started to think, I'm like, okay, well, how do you overcome that objection? And why is that important? Well. They really don't even know what's the deal, where, how much risk they have or whatever. And who they're listening to is either their employee or a vendor. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, something's wrong here. And, and then I started asking them, I said, well, tell me then, who do you have who has no skin in the game? Who's not trying to sell you something or tell you what you want to hear. And that's when they would say, I don't have anybody. I'm like, okay, that's, that's, that's where the opportunity is. And, and that sounds to me like where they need advisory services. And then I started, okay, well, that's a CIO. And, but when, and, and then, so there's a market for CIOs, but then it wasn't until that I was a CIO and really went to the market with really doing that for the last couple of years. I'm like, I need a, a peer advisory group, <laughs> yeah. really. Yeah. Now. And so then you go to the next step and you're like, okay, well, that's going to be the next business. And I recommend going through that process. That might take three years to do that, mm -hmm. to find that. Because um, I don't have much competition in this, in that. And it's led to a lot of other cool business opportunities. That's uh, so, a really great insight. Really appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> you just keep going until you find the market, the need. Somebody's going to eventually, you know, back. Back when I was running an internet development firm back in about, about 2000, um, we had built a time tracking application. This is back in Cold Fusion mm -hmm. running on an old SQL database. And my company, my people, yeah. This is Brian. Brian was Cold Fusion. Yeah, Brian yeah. was Cold Fusion. Cold Fusion, yeah. yeah. I loved Cold Fusion. It was great. Me too. Um, we built this time tracking thing, and it was about 1999, 2000. I remember talking to my business development guy. I'm like, 
why don't we just sell this to like other web development firms and spin up? We don't have to recreate the wheel every time, every stinking project. This was before Agile. Mm -hmm. We don't have to create the a whole new application. Why don't we just like spin this up into another server or something like that? That ended up becoming software as a service. Then when my company started going downhill in um, about 2002, 2003, and I started having trouble finding more business and my employee count went from like nine to down to two and I had this big office space, I'm like, doggone it, you know, it'd be really cool is if I could get those desks filled up with um, like maybe a database guy over on that one and maybe a graphic designer over on that one paying small amounts just to have a desk and we all kind of collaborate. Uh -huh. Well, that ended up becoming we work, huh? you know, the co-working. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That <laughs> yeah. was in 2003. I mean, I should, and I, by the way, I did do that. I had like one guy paying me $200 a month for a desk. I just didn't follow through with it. This time I'm following through. That's, that, that in itself is a, is a great uh, statement right there. Uh, always follow through no matter what, no matter how harebrained your idea may sound. Um, give that, it five that, years. That, that could be our own uh, banner slogan, couldn't it, Nick? Yeah, give it five <laughs> years. <laughs> Actually, five is too long. Two to three is probably sufficient we, anymore. We were thinking give it five months. <laughs> five minutes. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, that's agile. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's that saying? Fail, fail fast, fail often, right? Exactly. Yep. <laughs> That's so true. So true. Yes. There's also uh, a, a Japanese saying to continue is to succeed. Never heard that one. Mm. That's, that's great, Brian. <laughs> like it. Like it. <laughs> so I know we're coming up on uh, your time here and want to be respectful of your time, Scott. Um, if anyone's kind of looking for you, um, where can they find you, get a hold of you? My name is Scott Smeister. Um, it's very rare that you'll <laughs> find anyone who's not s-m-e-e-s-t-e-r um smeester.com or just um yeah my email is scott at smeester.com maybe i shouldn't put that in there but it don't matter <laughs> i got google <laughs> <laughs> there you go I, it's out there anyway i mean whatever people are good at finding that stuff anyways it'll yeah. surprise you sometimes I'll, I'll get vent, random vendors call my personal cell phone. It's yeah. like, oh, I got yeah. that <laughs> somehow. <laughs> oh, so there's a geek thing I do. I like to go to these like capture the flag things or um, like a secure mm -hmm. security thing. I went to one down in Colorado Springs for um, uh, it was literally for the FBI. They put it on this guy, put it on. He's like, okay, I want you to find my lat, my current address and the cost of my last home and my current phone number. <laughs> that was our challenge. Cause he's like, it's out there and he didn't care. And that's what we had to do. Yeah. It's at the point I'm with him. I'm like, Hey, Oh, well, whatever. What can you do? <laughs> Everybody's leaking everybody's data these days. I, I don't yeah. know. I can't stop anybody else from <laughs> doing that. You just don't want to, do anything wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, if you it's just not do anything wrong, you'll, you'll be all right, I think. It's, it's good that he didn't lead with a challenge saying, I want you to find the last four of my social and the most commonly used credit card number. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's a way for that too. There's a way for that. I don't know. It just might have taken longer. I might still be doing it. It was hosted by the FBI. They they might have been looking for somebody when they did that. That's <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> yeah, who's the real good performer? Yeah, exactly. Who's the best? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you could have a new career. That's a good way of doing it. Because you know, these pro you know, you go after their arrogance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you do. Geeks have a certain level of arrogance. Uh, so so do engineers true. too, right? When, when you were talking earlier, well, I, was what, thinking, I don't know if you're familiar that's with the one and the same. <laughs> I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the webcomic XKCD by the guy who used to be a mm-hmm. physicist at uh, NASA. And he's like how an engineer looks at, you know, the half glass full thing. You know how like some people say, oh, the glass is half full, glass half empty. Oh, yeah. And it's like the yeah. engineer sees a glass that is twice as big as then it needs to be. That's <laughs> like it's totally half inefficient. Full or half empty. Yeah. It's just you know, twice the size. <laughs> exactly. It's impractical. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I put a meme. I've been, I was doing memes a few weeks ago and I put one on there that I said, um, you know, in the small and medium sized businesses, they don't have CIOs. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're just having an IT guy or girl or whatever. And um, so I kind of made this meme. It's of Bill Gates holding this big ass ping pong paddle. This thing is enormous and he's hitting this ball. And I said, and the meme said, how you budget for whatever transfer digital transformation without a CIO. Oh. You, know, you just make you just make your paddle huge, you know. <laughs> just spend money. <laughs> yeah, work. You just spend money, spend it away. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I do see that with smaller organizations. That's how they they tend to do. It's like, oh, you know, you know, we've got uh, Samantha over there. She's our IT help desk. So you know, we'll, we'll give her the web development. She can handle that. Right. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. That's how, how many database administrators are born. <laughs> exactly. You just get something <laughs> random. You're like, I don't know how to do this. So uh, I hope this doesn't break it yep. when I run this, this SQL command. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, Scott, thank you so, so much for taking time with us today. And uh, I, I know um, that I've found a lot of value in the CIO CTO mastermind group so far and uh, best of luck on its continuance and uh, thank you to my opportunities to continue to participate in it as well yes thank you Scott. good all right thank you too appreciate it